What's up, everybody? Are you tuning in to the Challenge USA on CBS? Well, tune in to me, Tyson Apostle, as I break down each and every episode with my co-host, Amelia Wedemeyer. I'm also a contestant on the show, which gives you all the insider scoop. Amelia, how stoked are you to do this? Tyson, I'm freaking excited. I cannot wait to sit my butt down every single week to watch the show, then come here and recap it with you on the Ringer Reality TV podcast. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive that sets the pace and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that throws you one moment and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. everyone. Welcome to the Ringer F1 show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Megan Schuster, filling in for Kevin Clark this week, who is out on his annual NFL training camp tour, which I can't quite believe it's already that time of year, but here we are. Um, Max Verstappen wins the French Grand Prix, potentially our last French Grand Prix for the foreseeable future. Charles Leclerc records his third DNF of the season and third from the P1 position, which is uh, both heartbreaking and extremely concerning for Ferrari. And somehow, some way, outside of just Charles's DNF, Ferrari's strategy got even more confounding than it has been in recent weeks. I'm joined today by Taryn Bray, who is a digital host for the Washington Capitals and a massive F1 fan. Thanks for joining, Taryn. Thanks for having me, Meg. Excited to be here. Yeah. And I'm also joined by my ringer colleague, Michael Bauman. Michael, how are you? Better or worse than Charles today? I'm feeling good. Not every day I get to come on a podcast in my capacity as an expert in heavy breathing and screaming right. into a microphone. So my ship has come in. It's it's your time. This uh, Do you want us to just clear out for you or what should we do here? He looks, I didn't think that, that Charles Leclerc's face had the capacity to express the level of pent up rage that, that he had in his, uh, in his time in the interview pen. I feel so bad for him. Like the, the thing that just made me scream during the race was, was finding the, the realization that he's retired from the lead three times this season. Yes. That's unbelievable. Yes. And yes. this one, May or may not be his fault. He took uh, uh, took credit for for the crash. He said he just overcooked it in the corner. Nico Rosberg on the TV commentary said maybe there was wind, maybe there was throttle failure. I I don't care. Like Charles, this team is not good enough for you. There's no honor in taking the fall for just an absolute clown shoes organization like this. What a disgrace. What an absolute <laughs> disgrace is Mac Max Verstappen wins one of those races where you don't even like, you don't see him on screen for the last 40 laps of the race. And, but just because Ferrari just can't keep its cars on the road. Ridiculous. You know, I don't know what I was expecting on that radio message after the heavy breathing. <laughs> What's in this? But that blood curdling <laughs> stream was not it. <laughs> It it was not it. I I didn't know that he had that kind of lung capacity. If I'm if I'm going to be totally honest with you, but so quickly before we dive all the way deep into Ferrari, Max Verstappen wins. Lewis Hamilton in his 300th Grand Prix finishes second. George Russell third. Checo fourth. A bit of a disappointing fourth. Carlos Sainz fifth. Fernando Alonso sixth. Lando Norris seventh. And then Esteban Ocon, Daniel Ricciardo, and Lance Stroll round out the points. Um, so yeah, let, let's just dive fully into the Leclerc thing first, and then we can get into Carlos's race because there's 
really a ton to unpack from both. So Charles spins out on turn 11 on the 18th lap. Um, like Michael said, he initially said over the radio that it seemed to be some sort of throttle issue, um, similar to what he had in Austria, which was um, a really concerning radio message to hear. Then came the primal scream, which I won't ask you guys to in, like, in, imitate here because, yeah, that, that might blow out some listener eardrums, so we won't go there. Um, but yeah, so it initially seemed like another reliability thing. Nico Rosberg was sort of blaming the tires. Charles comes out, like you said, and sort of falls on the sword and says it's his own issue. And if this continues, I don't deserve to be Formula One world champion and just gets really angsty and meta with the whole thing. Um so, like, what do you guys take away from this just purely for Charles's purposes? And then we can dive into Carlos after that. I mean, like you said, mentioned three DNS from the first position, losing 75 points from winning positions. I mean, that is essentially the title fight right there. Max is up 63 points now. So when you take that into consideration, I mean, it's heartbreaking for him. And he's being a little dramatic, I'd say, saying that he doesn't deserve to be an F1 driver if he makes mistakes like that. It happens in sports and they're all human. But I can't imagine that he goes into any race soon feeling confident or sure of himself and his team for that matter. So it's got to be a knock on his confidence, which I don't know what that'll do to him because he seems like he's pretty sensitive. (laughs) It was very French, the the whole <laughs> reaction to this. Meg, you uh, you were saying before we started recording that Mattia Bonato was trying to put a positive spin on it. I said, like, he's, he sounded like the Italian Will Muschamp after, like, losing by 20 to <laughs> Kentucky. Like, this is college football coach who's one week from getting fired vibes out of the team that put together maybe the fastest car on the grid this season. And for all of this... You know, all this drama is having their best season in four or five years. And yep. it's just, you know, it's a little disappointing as somebody who wants to see a close title fight. I think the people who have come to the sport uh, in the past year and a half or so have been spoiled a little bit because it's usually not that good. Usually it's it's like this where you have one team and one driver sort of running away with it. Uh, but, uh, you know, Ferrari's not putting up the fight it's well maybe it is putting up the fight it's capable of putting up maybe they can can only make a car that blows up every two weeks it's just it's just mystifying and and that the the failure for leclerc to finish today is not nearly as mystifying as whatever was happening with carlos Sainz at the end of the race yeah so so let's dive right into that because this is um even more more confusing than than anything else that happened in the race. So uh, during the safety car brought about by Leclerc's incident, Science pits for fresh tires and then gets an unsafe release in front of Esteban Ocon. He earns a five second penalty for that, which also almost just kills un- a McLaren really, mechanic. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, horrible. Which, is also kind of on Ferrari, right? Because the mechanics have to be watching oh, yeah. down the pit lane. Like Carlos can't see light. who's coming. Yeah. So that's also on their strategy of not realizing that he was going to get a penalty for that. And then with just a few laps remaining in the race, he is fighting uh, Checo for third position and just gets in front of him. And during this battle, they hop on the radio to him and ask him to pit. And he's like, um, are you guys paying attention right now? Like I'm, I'm currently in the midst of a very heated battle and my attention is elsewhere. And now you're asking me to pit. So he does end up eventually pitting, um, has to serve the five second stop and go penalty because he pits releases him back into ninth place and he ends up finishing fifth. So Darren, I'm just going to start with you. Was Ferrari watching Carlos's race? Did they just kind of check out after the whole Charles situation? Like, Like what, like, what do you think happened? And even before the overtake on Checo when they came on the radio for God knows what reason to tell him to box, they couldn't come to a conclusion before that anyways, of what they wanted right. to do. They we were, they were plan a plan D plan B. I mean, they were all over the place and they couldn't agree. There was one point where sign said, no, I can't stay out here. I got a box. They're like, okay, stay out. And you're just thinking, are you hearing what he's saying? I mean, there was so much lack of understanding between the two sides. And I don't blame signs for being, a little bit cautious of trusting their strategy. So he's out there probably thinking I've been in this position before where they screwed me. So he's probably thinking, I don't know if I, I want to take what you guys are telling me at face value and do this, but I, I just, I don't know what's going on there. And you have to think, I mean, you, we talk about this, right. You mentioned Will Muschamp, which by the way, I appreciate the reference. I'm a Florida Gator. So he kind <laughs> of, you know, I have 
some dark spots regarding him, but you think about when a team in any other kind of American sport or sport in general, when they're like, when are you going to clean house and rid of the coach, rid of the entire staff? I mean, you've got to be thinking how, how much longer do you give the staff, Mattia Bonato, any of that, there's race engineers time to figure this out. Or do you say like, you're not up to this to get our driver a championship. And I just don't know how, how quickly they make those decisions in F1 compared to, I feel like it's pretty, pretty rash and, you know, football and basketball that the coach is out and it's done. They don't give them that much of a chance, but man, what a disaster for them today. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that there's any like house cleaning coming mid season. That's not, although sure. Ferrari's been, been pretty quick on the the trigger in sort of the post John Tott uh, mm. era. So but Bonato was supposed to be the guy to come in and, and bring stability back to this team. And like, I just looked at, uh, looked at my notes and saw on under lap 40, I said, Oh shit, Ferrari's down to plan D. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, and, and it didn't seem like they do either. Cause it's not even yeah. just the, the confusing pit call and the, the talk about the tires, but after the unsafe release they they went on the, the radio and told Carlos that it was a stop go penalty and not just a time penalty, which is, it's a completely different thing and would have let him back down, you know, probably another five or six mm. spots, but it's just not the, you know, I just think back to how together this team looked at the, the beginning of the season. And it looked like Red Bull was the, the team that, that, um, would be on the back foot, foot organizationally. And it's just been stunning to, to see that, um, see that turnaround. I, th- I thought signs like had, I'll use the word a mega drive today to come back from, <laughs> from starting 20th and, and work his way through the field on a track where it's not that easy to pass. Um, you know, he, he drove well enough to get up onto the podium twice and his team really let him down. And he's got every reason to be just as mad as Charlotte Claire is today. He had a mega drive while setting his own pit strategy, which mm-hmm. is, yeah. and telling his race engineers that they were wrong about the penalty. He was like, no, it's just five seconds. It's not stop and go. Like to have to have half of your brain be on the radio and correcting the people who are supposed to be the adults here and telling you what what is happening around you is, is uh, not particularly encouraging. Not at all. (laughs) No. So like you said, Taryn, Charles is now 63 points behind Max. There are only 10 races left. So I just wanted to ask you guys initially, like, do you feel that Charles can still be a challenger in this race? Like, What does Max have to DNF a couple of times for this to get close again? Like, what do you think is the most kind of logical conclusion here? I don't think there's any way that Max doesn't win this season. Truly. I think at this point, like you said, 10 races left and Max has seven wins now and he's been dictating every single race. It seems like even when he's not starting on pole, he somehow, you know, ends up winning and he just seems like he's in total control. And even with their occasional reliability issues, just don't see it happening. I I don't think there's any way that, that Charles can catch up. And honestly, I I don't have faith in in the Ferrari team to, to put out a good enough strategy to get him to where he needs to be in order to give Max any sort of a fight. The speed is there for, for Ferrari and they've got the, the, the summer break, I guess, to collect themselves. Um, And then there are a couple tracks coming uh, coming along late in the season where I would expect them to do well, but 63 points is, is huge, particularly because Meg, you mentioned Max needing the DM DNF. He's in, he's doing this thing that, that Hamilton was doing sort sort of like latter stages of the, of the last rule set where he's just so much faster than everybody else. He's completely relaxed and chill and just doesn't make mistakes. If Max has four, you know, four wheels on his car at the end of the race, he's going to be on the podium dating back to like mid 2020. He just isn't going to give them an opening. And I think that's a bigger problem, particularly because you think about consistency, um, you know, Mercedes, I think, I think only has one less podium finish than Ferrari this season. Uh, And it's just, they're just racking up the top fives and if Ferrari doesn't it, and they're moving in the right direction, I guess we'll talk about them in a little more detail um, in, a, in a little bit. But they're right up on the, the back of Ferrari in terms of, of points, maybe not in performance, but 
one of those drivers, you know, one of, of Hamilton or Russell is going to reach up and take a bite out of these top four um, sooner rather than later. So it's going to get tough for Ferrari to even hang on to second place if they don't get their act together. Totally. Yeah. Mercedes is within 44 points of Ferrari for second in the constructors right now, which should be terrifying on its own, but especially so with the fact that it's Mercedes and you know that they're just going to continue to improve the car, continue to add upgrades. And like you said, Michael, um, their drivers are probably the most consistent on the grid and not going to take unnecessary chances. Um, but speaking of Red Bull, uh, Max obviously wins this weekend and gains incredible points. But Checo also gets within seven points of Charles for second place in the driver's championship on somewhat of a disappointing weekend. I don't know how you guys felt about Checo coming out of this, but he got really rushed by Lewis on the opening lap and lost a place almost immediately. Um, Was sort of non-competitive pace-wise. Like I kept waiting for him to get up close to Lewis in those early laps, and he just seemed to be falling behind. And then uh, on a late virtual safety car, he got caught sleeping by George Russell on the restart and just, uh, yeah, ended up in fourth and never really gave it another chance. So is this, do you guys see this as a positive weekend overall for Red Bull or do you have any kind of concern with Checo and how that may affect the team if somehow Ferrari gets its shit together? It's a good enough, I think it's a good enough weekend for Max and that's where their concern is. And it's, as long as Checo just like fourth place is not where they wanted to be. And I think not where that car was capable of, of landing. Um, but they're just still racking up points and it's just a numbers game for them at this point for, for winning the constructors title. So I think the way they got there will be kind of disappointing. I don't think anybody in that team is going to be happy with how Checo handled that restart. Like he got his, he got absolutely pantsed by, by Russell there. Um, and you don't see that happen that often coming out of a, a VSC. Um, but you know, it's 37 points on the board. Max has a bigger lead than he did before. They're still, within striking distance of going one, two in the driver's standing. So I, I think they have to be happy with it, you know, with the results on aggregate. Yeah. I think it was a bit weird watching Checo in his fight with Lewis. Cause typically you'd think, and I thought Checo was going to eat Lewis up right after the start, just because of how quick that car was. And I was just surprised how much of a fight he, I mean, he gave him a little bit of a fight, but as soon as Lewis kind of, his interval became 1.2 seconds, 1.3. It just kept growing. And it was, it was a bit odd to see that, that he kept falling back. And I guess at that point he decided to manage his tires versus trying and going after mm-hmm. him. But then there was a second time for the first safety car that they were kind of going at it again. And he didn't really give him that much of a fight. And it was just shocking to see considering Checo is, you know, a decently aggressive driver and, and likes a good overtake. And it just didn't really feel like he had it in him today, which was bizarre to watch considering, like you said, how close the driver's standings are and and how much better he could have done and how how much more points he could have gained. So I think, yeah, still positive for Red Bull given a P1, P4 finish, get some, you know, decent points in the Constructors' Championship, but definitely not Checo's best weekend by any means. I I think even though he he did look a little sleepy all weekend. He did, um, yeah. yeah, you got to give Lewis a lot of credit for the struggles for sure. that, that Checo had because he, I mean, he had an incredible start despite struggling with starts and restarts in the the past few races. I think this was Lewis's best uh, mm-hmm. uh, best outing of the of the season. Um, that's probably not very controversial given the the results, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's tough to overtake Lewis when he's when he's got a good car underneath him. And he seemed really happy with his results. So maybe that's just down to there being another competitive driver ahead of him. And that just happens sometimes. It's true. I think I was more expecting, you know, some, some highlight real battles like we've seen from Lewis and Checo in the past and some, you know, elbows out, just, just keeping it closer than he did. Um, I, I guess maybe more similar to the, you know, fight he was having with George Russell later in the race before he, you know, just got got fully rushed by him on that restart. But I, I would love to know uh, what was going through Checo's mind on that restart because he just, it seemed like he was hanging back to try and do some strategy. And I don't know if he got tricked a little by what George was doing and staying back away from him, but it, yeah, he just had had no idea what was happening there. I saw something on Twitter that Race Control apparently sent out two virtual safety car ending messages which I guess caused Perez to increase his speed too early. And then he had to get reduce his speed because he got caught out. Um, 
between the green flags. So I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but every driver would have received the same messages. So you can't really put it on that, Mm -hmm. but you know, it was, that was baffling to see. I mean, he didn't even, it didn't look like he was paying attention at all. (laughs) It was like, he was in the front of the race, like Max just having a, you know, a casual Sunday drive. But in fact, he was fighting for P3. Right. Right. Exactly. And, and like in a a really tough battle, like George looked really great. That Mercedes has looked great all weekend, which I guess we can probably get to next, given some of the upgrades that they did, um, coming into this race. Uh, so yeah, this was Lewis's 300th Grand Prix. He's just the sixth F1 driver to ever reach that benchmark. And like you said, Michael had probably his best race of the season. Uh, finished second Mercedes got double points or double podium for the first time this season. George continued his reliability and yeah, they're within 44 points of Ferrari for second in the constructors. What did you guys see? Um, I guess, Michael, we can start with you about Mercedes upgrades over the weekend that helped them on the track. And, um, what do you see as that affecting their overall ceiling? They seemed a little disappointed coming out of the practice sessions. They, I think they expected to get a little bit more performance out of these upgrades, despite both their drivers performing well. And even uh, going into FP3, they were doing the thing where they were splitting the setup in practice to try to mm-hmm. to experiment. So I think there's still more to come. There's more speed to, uh, to come out of this car. Uh, but Lewis had just didn't put a foot wrong. The uh, the entire weekend and George had an interesting race uh, to get up to, to third. <laughs> he did, um, but the I I would have liked to to see the alternate timeline where they didn't have that slow pit stop for Hamilton. It wasn't that slow. I think it was three point eight. But if they get that done in two and a half seconds, then they get him back out in front of Verstappen after the the safety car, mm-hmm. and Lewis probably wouldn't have been able to keep the Red Bull behind him. But it would have been, I think, a more interesting last thirty odd laps of the race than what we saw. Uh, so, but this is, I think, this is as close as they've come to to being competitive uh, for a win. If there were, you know. Slightly different uh, ways tire degradation have played out. Maybe that's it's a little bit closer, but you know, second and and third is I, I think they really have to be happy and are happy with that result. I think they're happy, but coming into this weekend, there was a lot of talk about how well this track would suit them, given its similarities to Silverstone, and so I think they were probably expecting more, especially you know during qualification they were still a second off the pace, and so it didn't seem yeah. like they were getting what they wanted or thought that they could get at this track out of the car. So even though they had P2, P3, they, they probably going into this weekend thought that maybe they could have competed a little bit more for the win. And when you look at the end of the race before that last safety car, I mean, Lewis was still five seconds, six seconds off max. And I mean, yeah, he was probably saving his tires, but still, I mean, I don't know how much he could have made up anyways, so I don't really know if he would have been able to get the win regardless, but still, it's still a good, a good weekend for them. And I'm very curious to see, I know there's a lot of talk going into the Belgian GP about the technical directive before and how much that will affect Ferrari and Red Bull versus Mercedes. Cause I think a lot of people will expect that it won't affect Mercedes as much and it might have a larger effect on Red Bull and Ferrari and to see if maybe that technical directive will bring them all a little bit closer together versus, you know, the two out front and Mercedes comfortably in third. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and empower what's next. Start today at empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. There's a lot that could impress you about the all new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. As your business grows, you might start seeing some lag. There's too much work for your team, too many different processes, and it takes forever to close the books. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 
25 and 1. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. It's a cloud financial system that can help streamline accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, that's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do more with less. And one, because your one-of-a-kind business deserves a customized solution for your KPIs. It's like when you come here for this podcast or when you check out your favorite website to gather all the info you need to make better decisions for your fantasy leagues. Well, NetSuite does that for your business and then some. It's one efficient system, one source of truth with everything you need to grow. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. That is netsuite.com slash ringer. Do you guys think that George Russell finishes third, if not for the virtual safety car? Because I, I want to talk here about, about the radio messages <laughs> because he's locked in a battle with Jekko, uh, you know, pulls the old lunge forward to try and get around him on a corner. Jekko seems to still be ahead, but has to kind of run off track to, to not crash with George, maintains his position. George gets on the radio immediately and is like, listen, I had track position, which, you know, really didn't. Which he didn't, by the which way. Which he didn't. Like- <laughs> I, would, I would like to clarify. An <laughs> angry dad comes on the radio in Toto. Yes, yes. So George sends quite a few messages. Uh, just the ones that I heard on Sky Sports were, you know, quite a lot. And it's anytime Toto Wolf has to come on the radio, I, I feel like it, it's George, you must sign. focus. You must focus and make the <laughs> overtake. Hunt him down. Yeah, like like he comes on and just suns George and is like, stop complaining to me and just go and fix this. And George seems to, you know, kind of shut up immediately because not only is Toto his boss, but he's also his agent, which we can talk about whenever you guys feel ready to. Um, But yeah, I'm not entirely convinced that without that virtual safety card that he ends up on the podium because Checo, you know, for how close George was getting, Checo seemed to be finding ways to kind of hold him off. I, I don't know. What do you guys think? He's a hard guy to pass, but I think George still would have gotten it done. Uh, he was, they still had, uh, I think about eight laps by the time the, um, or no, I guess less than that. Um, when the, the safety car came out, it was maybe only five, but I think he still had enough time to, to go and, and get that overtake done. He was within a second. He would have had DRS. He could have set it up for a couple corners in advance. My theory, I have a theory on why Mm. he did that. Because Please. we've sure. had some early incidents uh, in recent races, and this has been one of the sources of all the consternation about the stewards, but they've been delivering rulings about like leaving space for for uh, in a wheel-to-wheel battle, basically saying if you're ahead at the apex of the corner, then you're entitled to the corner. Then, you know, according to the way the rules are being interpreted, then – then they're going to give you the stewards are going to give you the corner regardless of how you get there. We've seen a couple races in a row guys just just not breaking going into corners <laughs> and just getting ahead at the apex and Bold. just steaming off into the distance and go getting on the radio going, hey, you know, doing what George did. You know, he didn't leave me enough space. He squeezed me off the and they get the spot. And so I think that's what he was trying to do. George is a canny operator and he's also one of the directors of the GDPA. Right. Which means he's at the the front of the uh, the conversation with the the stewards and the race directors. So I think he was trying to to rules lawyer his way onto the podium, uh, which is not the way you want to do it, George. I thought you know I think the the way he actually got it done was was much more palatable. Is is this the F one version of a flop? You had. Do you want to share who you compared him to? Yeah, so so Michael and I were talking before the race about this and he, you know, kind of revealed this this potential strategy to me. And I asked if George Russell was now the Chris Paul of Formula 1 for <laughs> trying to win by complaining to the refs and ratting other people out. And you, you know, I mean, far be it be the me. first. He wouldn't no, be the first and he will first. not be the last. It's I mean, no. it's a proven strategy, but yeah. uh you know, doesn't necessarily make him any more likable than he already was. No. Yeah. I mean, an F1 already has a higher percentage of athletes whose first inclination is to call their dad's lawyer uh, <laughs> than higher proportion of those guys than, than maybe any other sport. Uh, so and the like the boarding school comes out in George Russell in moments like this when ordinarily he's a very, you know, very chill 
thoughtful, likable character, but there's, you know, you, it, it, there was a little bit of, do you know who my dad is? And then dad comes <laughs> on the radio in his thick Teutonic accent and says, son, do you know who I am? Get this past done. And he did. And everybody lived happily ever after. Hey, I think he would have gotten it done eventually, but I mean, yeah, that whole radio communication, just not a good look for him. And I think also that this year they kind of changed the race directors weren't going to blatantly come on the radio and say, give the position back. They've kind of left it up to the teams anyways. So there was no way that Checo and Red Bull were going to give up that position anyways on their own. So that there was really no use. I think, you know, his hope was maybe at the end of the race, if something happened for them to come down and say, well, you know, you were in the right, but that wasn't happening. And he got lucky with that restart and ended up doing it anyways. But yeah, that whole saga did not, did not shed him in a good light. (laughs) Did you guys see those memes this week of the George Russell is the guy who kind of things? Yeah. He reacted to it. He did. And I I watched the video this morning and I, every one that he reacted to, he was just sort of like, yeah, I probably would do that, which (laughs) (laughs) just gave the meme so much more validity. It was, it was really special. At least he's self-aware. Yeah. yeah, that's that's something more than we can say for a lot of a lot of other F1 drivers, I big, guess. Yeah. Big weekend for radio. I mean, that exchange with Toto is probably like after the scream and, and Carlos <laughs> having to correct his engineers and Lance Stroll, who, by the way, Leave is still driving alone. around. I was aware of Lance Stroll for the first time this weekend all, all season. Same. Um, Same. Okay, but that last going on last there and saying, shut up. Yeah, so, we should talk about the last lap as well when he and Seb Vettel got into it I, and I like almost had crashed. Yeah, had they, contact. I, I think they did touch. Think yeah, they, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know that Aston that all important battle make themselves known at least once with some you know poor. <laughs> it's true demonstration was, of racing. Yeah, I, I was going to say. Speaking of drivers who will call for their father's lawyer whenever they get into trouble. Yes. Um. But yeah, I fighting for that all important tenth tenth spot on the grid. Um. Would love to be in the one of the drivers' meetings with him and Sebastian Vettel. I'm very, very curious to know what they're like in their everyday interactions. If Lance yeah. doesn't get out of the way, Seb's going to just run away straight to McLaren for next year. Oh, you boy. know what? <laughs> I wouldn't be wouldn't be opposed. But speaking of McLaren, great transition, exactly. <laughs> Thank you. They were one of the teams who came in with the kind of biggest upgrades of yeah. this week. It was probably them and Alpha Tauri who had some of the more more massive changes. Uh, they had some new side pod shaping for um, what I understand is improved aerodynamic load. I will not pretend to be an engineer on this podcast, so apologies there. They also had some extra cooling options and basically just seemed to have um, a bit of extra speed on the weekend. Lando finished fifth in qualifying, which was one of his better outings this year. And Daniel, um, I think, would have been up there if not for some um, kind of qualifying shenanigans um, as well. So I won't ask you guys to break down, you know, how floor shaping and things affect aerodynamics in, unless either of you really, really wants to. Um, but this double points finish, um, feels like a, a good indication of like positivity to come. Um, I don't know about you guys. I've been feeling pretty down on Daniel all season. And, um, I don't know that he would himself be very happy with this result, but he seemed to at least kind of be keeping things close to Lando and, hoping that means encouraging things to come in in the next few races. I don't know. How do you guys feel? Yeah. And their battle with Alpine, I mean, those two are really the battling for fourth, right? And constructors. And they were sandwiched between Alpine for a lot of the race. And then towards the end, I don't know if you noticed, but there was an Alonzo backup train. He had like a 21 second interval at one point. I mean, just absolutely insane. The same thing he did in Monaco when it was just everyone backed up by him. I mean, it was, it was pretty crazy, but those teams, those two this weekend, I think were really fighting against each other. And it was, it was fun to see. They kind of kept switching back and forth and looks like, you know, the upgrade upgrades for McLaren did well for them. And at least Danny wasn't at the back of the pack with those upgrades. Cause sometimes they bring an upgrade and then Daniel just has, looks like he has no idea how to drive the car. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's really the the standard that you want your like twenty million dollar a year star driver is like he looks like he knows how to drive the car this week compared oh, to the way he's looked the past season and a half. Um, yeah, I mean Alonso's been making the most out of 
out of this season. He's sort of he's really gotten his elbows out. Like he's turned into that dirty old man who knows all the all the tricks and like just calling it on the radio. Like I'm trying to back the McLarens up so their tires overheat. Like he's just his brain is so large right now. Uh, if he's not gonna it, like if he's not gonna get up to the front of the the pack and compete for wins and um, the world championship, he's just gonna make everybody else's life miserable. And he's out there to spite Otmar. Yes. <laughs> yes, honestly. And and I really admire that he's just trying to make races fun for himself and mm-hmm. doesn't really care about how it like affects his track position, how it affects anyone else. Like, you know, they're yeah, they're on the radio giving him Lando's times and how close he's getting. And he's like, Yeah, I'm well aware. Cool. <laughs> Couldn't care less. He's not gonna get past me. So yeah. I'm just gonna get close. And I mean, between this and you know, him sort of uh Dikembe Matumbo finger wagging Yuki the other week and um and even like this week, Lewis had said out of anyone on the on the grid who he thinks is, you know, the most competitive driver out there, he said it was still Fernando. So um it would be fun if he was in a an even yeah. more competitive car, but I, I do love midfield Fernando and just kind of going out there and living his life and um, pissing off young drivers. Yeah. It's, it's a great time. He's fun to watch, that's for sure. Yeah. I can't believe he doesn't have his own like reality show yet at this point or, you know, YouTube, Instagram live series. Uh, Fernando, have your people call my people. I think it should happen. Set it up. Yeah, right. Um, okay, is there anyone else you guys feel like we should talk about from the rest of the field? We talked about Alpine a little bit already. Um, the, you know, two Aston Martins colliding. Um, anyone care to talk about another Nicholas Latifi DNF? <laughs> no, don't care. Shockingly, I think that was only his second of the season. So, you know, not that bad. I think it was his third, it was third but his second in a row. Um, oh. that, that is actually is finally, shocking. He, he is ahead of Nico Hulkenberg in the uh, <laughs> in the standings. He's not doing the Nikita Mazepin Memorial 21st wow. place in a 20 driver championship. Uh, although speaking of, of which, very disappointed in Haas. Just I Ooh. the car was quick and they just somehow managed to contrive their way to the back of the field. Um, it's just it's frustrating seeing how fast they've been the, the past couple weeks mm-hmm. and constantly talking about upgrades and maybe those those upgrades, which were supposed to be around like two months ago, will finally show up in Hungary. But yeah, yeah. Well, and Gunther came on the broadcast pretty early on in the race after I think they'd pitted Kevin Magnuson very mm-hmm. early, like maybe lap eight or after nine he made up like tires. seven spots in the first. Exactly. Lap yeah. He went from 20th to 13th within like a, like a lap, which was unbelievable. And Gunther, even they, you know, Sky was asking him, is this strategy? Are you guys trying to kind of preempt a two stop race, whatever? And Gunther pretty much straight up said, like, we don't really have a strategy. We're just trying to see how it goes. <laughs> Not, That's not how I live my sign. life. Yeah, yeah. Relatable Gunther things. I was curious to see what Alphatari would bring since they brought some pretty big upgrades and just to see how they performed. And I mean, you could tell by Pierre Gasly's mom's face on camera when they showed her that no one was very happy with what they were doing. Oh, they showed that they showed Leigh Gasly right after he pulled off an overtake and and uh, then she was cheering. Yeah, Monsieur Gasly in particular looked like he was having the time of his life. So, well, he had had his fingers crossed. Yeah, so tightly. Every time they showed him, he was like holding on for dear life, just terrified for his. Meanwhile, Pierre's in like P13. Like, right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What are your fingers crossed for? Oh, it was darling. I I felt um, much, much kinship with them rooting for good things for Pierre, but unfortunately, just, yeah, a bit of another sad weekend for them. The last thing I want to bring up is. They the French GP used to have a uh, gorilla trophy that was no more, and that was pretty disappointing. <laughs> wow, real missed opportunity for them to real real missed opportunity. I don't know why they took that away, but since it yeah. might be the last race, anyways. Yeah, so we should talk about that too. Uh, with new additions kind of coming to the F1 calendar next year, um, races like the French Grand Prix, Spa, Monaco. Um, all these ones that don't have existing contracts beyond this year are sort of potentially on the chopping block. It was a big point of conversation this week. I saw a lot of debate um, just online and, and even amongst the drivers. Like if you were going to lop off the French Grand Prix or Spa, which would you rather lose? And I think most of the drivers tend to prefer Spa just for, you know, it's a beautiful track, um, very historical, kind of an interesting, kind of an interesting race. And 
you know, the French Grand Prix has commonly been cited as a race that's not always particularly entertaining. You know, it's got kind of the medium to high speed corners, all the runoffs, um, just doesn't really, well, I was going to say it doesn't really punish drivers for making mistakes, but it did that for Charles today. I hate this track. It's really? it's not only yeah it's not only like everybody talks about the the runoffs which one do legitimately make you seasick when they because it <laughs> the track is going in and out of these stripes and not only that they have the they don't have the um the markings on some of the runoffs and side roads so you can't like follow the course of the track to see which corners coming up next it like it's just completely disorienting it's so flat. It's just mm-hmm. it, like if that's the comparison to to Belgium, just the elevation changes at Spa are like they that um, make Spa a better track. Uh, it like the scenery. There are some boring tracks. I, I think like the Hungara Ring is is one that I put in in that category um, where like it's at least pretty to look at, and you get or, yeah. or, or Austria where you get you know those beautiful views of the Alps. Like the I thought the South of France was supposed to be pretty like circuit power card. It, like it looks like the suburbs of Phoenix. Like it's just <laughs> such a hideous location and hideously boring racing. If I had the choice to, to lop off, as you said, one, uh, one race, like give me the scissors. I'll do it myself right now. If we never come back, I'll be a happy man. I saw one French outlet on Twitter already claiming that it was confirmed out and, I don't know how accurate, you know, we don't believe everything the internet says, but if I had to guess, I'd probably say that, yeah, this was it. And like, there's, uh, you know, we've got a French team, we've got multiple French drivers, like Monaco's basically France. Belgium is basically (laughs) France. We don't need actual France. Montreal's basically France. Like, (laughs) I can't wait for French Twitter to just come for you. It's going to be, it's going to be really great. I'm so excited for it. Well, so I was going to ask you, you know, like with the French drivers, the French history with F1, like, do we miss something by not having a race in France, even if it's, you know, not at this particular track, which I don't think that any of us on this show, especially Michael, will miss if it is gone. Um, But but having a presence in France, I know, you know, Pierre talked about it a lot this week and Esteban Ocon had kind of a nice um, tribute to it before the broadcast or the race officially started. <laughs> like, do we miss something by not having a race in France? Well, I, in the Ocon video, he was like talking about all the great French drivers. And he said, Alan Prost. And then, uh, John Alacy, <laughs> I guess. And <laughs> so I think that answered your question right there. Yeah. I mean, I think it would be nice given those allegiances, but they, they have to find a new track if they're going to keep it there for sure. And there are, there are options. So it's not like there, there aren't, but yeah, it's not great. (laughs) Yeah. I'm with you guys. Um, before we get to talking about Hungary, which is the next race on the calendar, um, I wanted to get to a couple listener questions. Now, as we've covered 95% of them were Ferrari related. So we've already talked about that quite a bit, but there was one from Victor J who asked what the NBA front office equivalent of Ferrari's race management slash strategy would be. I have like a potential example from my own personal NBA painful fandom, but I wanted to see if you guys had anything to offer up because that that was a a pretty fun question. Well, they're a team with a lot of history that's been pretty bad and in pretty embarrassing ways recently. And they're having one of the people on the the court slash track telling the people who are supposed to be making the decisions what to do. So this feels like a very obvious LA Lakers comparison. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. I like and that. I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but I like that question. I like if you're that. going where I think you're going, I think I just want to say up front, I think that's mean and it's uncalled for even for Ferrari. But oh, I don't know if I'm going where you're going. But okay. Let's see. <laughs> Is it Timberwolves related? Yeah, that's where I, I'm going. Like, if you're going to invoke David Kahn, I don't think the. I am. I am. Yes, I am. It's not quite that dramatic, but I, I was going to go kind of back to the 2009 draft and the fact that, you know, they draft two point guards who are not Stephen Curry. Um, seemingly the right idea, but just wrong decision after wrong decision and completely incorrect execution of an idea seemed um, relatively fitting for Ferrari for me. And a 
it, right down to building the team around a handsome Spaniard who can't uh, score as well as you would have thought. Listen, guys, it's oh. all there. It's all there. We're here. Connected the dots beautifully. Um, one more question was, when do you guys think Max will clinch the title this year? I don't feel like doing math. I know. <laughs> so 10 races left. He has a 63-point lead. So even if he finishes second in, you know, eight of the next races and Charles finishes first, he'll still have a bit of a lead. It feels like Japan or Austin to me. Um, That's usually about when when Mercedes was running away with things. That's usually when uh, around. So Japan is October 9th and Austin is October 23rd. That would leave three races remaining. Yeah, and I think even even that might end up being a little charitable because, I mean, 63 points could end up growing mm-hmm. a lot if uh, things That's keep true. going this way. That's yeah. True. When's the earliest anyone has ever clinched? Oh, um, I feel like I know. That. I think so. Like in the in like the fifties when they were having like an an eight race championship, I'm sure somebody uh, <laughs> yeah. clinched like Two less than halfway in. through the season. <laughs> I think one of the one of the Schumacher Ferrari years, I think he clinched the title like race ten or eleven out of seventeen. Wow! So we're not going that far. No. Yeah. Yeah. I I think I think your prediction makes sense. I think if Charles doesn't have a really special race next week and kind of get some momentum back going before the summer break. I think, you know, having to face a full month of, of speculation about your team and about your driving and about your chances, uh, can't really help improving a mindset. So that would be difficult for me. Yeah. Maybe he Um, gets it done in Japan in front of the, the not actual, you know, the sort of maybe Honda, not really Honda people. Yeah. That'll be a nice, uh, way to tie, tie things together. Cohesion. Yeah, there you go. Um, who do you guys have for driver of the day today? Because I thought it was kind of an interesting question. I don't know that any one person in particular stood out in a positive way for me other than uh, maybe Lewis. Yeah, I would say probably Lewis is my initial gut instinct. But yeah. I mean, regardless of what signs and his strategy, I mean, he still had, like you guys said, a mega drive coming from the back of the grid. So one of those two, I think, is my answer. Yeah, I think Lewis and I, I, th- I do think signs... I would think about him for for driver of the day just because of everything that he came through both off the track and in his earpiece. That that's true. If if we're factoring in uh, <laughs> radio messaging and while being uh, abs- having- actively sabotaged by his own racing. <laughs> yeah. Wait, I have something I wanted to read to you guys. I saw this on the F one subreddit. I think it like is perfect. The season yes. will be immortalized in a Ron Howard movie called Ferrari versus Ferrari, where the drivers overcome adversity each week to attempt to finish a race, despite the Machiavellian interferences from their greatest foe, the Scuderia. <laughs> and it just seems so, so right on the nose. Would watch that movie, by the way. Would watch that movie too. <laughs> with, with a, a weirdly skinny Christian Bale is Matteo Bellino. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. I'd love to hear that accent. Oh yeah, that would that would be a good challenge for him, I think. Um, <laughs> next race on the calendar is this coming sun- Sunday in Hungary, um, a track that is intimidatingly named the Hungaro Ring, which sounds to me like something out of Harry Potter. Maybe I, I don't know. Every, every I time really I like the it, name. I've always really liked the. I thought it was. I've always thought it was a fun name to say. It makes me. It makes it sound like they're like going to battle or something. You know, like mm-hmm. the Hungaro Ring. I, I don't know. Every time I hear it, I I just. Get a little chill. Um, what do you guys expect from Hungary? What are you looking forward to from that race? What What do you think is going to be most important coming out of that? I mean, I think that it's another track where it's going to be hot. So there's going to be some tire deg, which was the phrase of the week um, yes, here in true. France, tire deg. Um, so I think that'll be interesting to see how they manage that again. And I, I don't, I don't believe there's a lot of overtaking zones at this ring. So it'll yeah. be, it'll be really important where you qualify and, and could determine your track position pretty much the entire race. So, um, I think people will, drivers will be really focused on, on qualifying next weekend. So uh, the Hungary ring, because it's difficult to overtake one of two things happens, either we get a really boring race or somebody unexpected qualifies higher up the grid or it rains and jumbles everything up and we get the best race of the season. So we get either last year's or 2006 Mm -hmm. where Jensen button won from 14th on the grid. Um, 
So I guess pray for rain. Because uh, if you <laughs> like if a Mercedes or even like a McLaren or Alonzo in the Alpine, like what if one of them gets out in front it, at any point in the race, it could be really difficult to overtake and get that, um, you know, for Verstappen or Leclerc or signs to to get past. So pray for rain is the is what I will be uh, doing for until the uh, until we get to Hungary. Yeah, last, last time at Hungary where we got that epic Alonzo Hamilton battle. So that'd be fun if we got something similar to that. And the uh, Lewis Ham and last year's meme of the season, uh, Lewis Hamilton alone on the grid while everybody else is in the. Uh, <laughs> oh the my god! Wow, forgot about that. <laughs> that that will be hard to top, but but I'll keep my fingers crossed <laughs> that something something equally as memeable happens this time around. We're not getting um, the the Leclerc scream is meme of the season this year. I think that's mm-hmm. a that's an open and shut case at this point, but. I'll I'll think about that in my dreams. Someone did ask on Twitter whether that scream or the Darth Vader scream was more haunting. And I I honestly don't know that I have an answer for them, but it was, yeah, what a remarkable day. Um, That's it from us on the French Grand Prix. Thank you all for listening. Thanks to Erica Cervantes for the production help. This has been the Ringer F1 show on the Ringer Podcast Network. We'll see you all next week. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.